0: There is a place of freedom in prayer where we can be free from all of those things that can hinder us. There is such a place, amen? And we are called to live in this place and to function out of this place. Now, let me begin by saying, prayer and believing is inseparable. Prayer and faith is inseparable. Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Jesus says, when you pray... When you pray, believe, you receive and you shall have it. When you pray, when you pray, believe, when you pray, believe, when you pray, believe. Pray and believe are interconnected. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Because they that come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Prayer is coming to God. Well, they that come to God must believe. So there again, we see this connection between praying and believing. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, Jesus says, All things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. In other words, if there isn't the believing connected with prayer, you can forget about the receiving. So prayer and believing is important. The connection between the two. John chapter 14 verse 12. Jesus said, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Now when you first look at that scripture, You can think it means that whosoever is born again, whosoever is called a believer that is born again of the water and of the word, the works that Jesus did, he will do also in greater works than these. But that's not precisely what it is saying. He that believeth in me, and I believe Jesus is saying, he that believes the way I believe, he that believes the way I believe, the way Jesus believes, the works that I do, shall he do also in greater works than these. Well, how did Jesus believe? John chapter 14, verse 10, Jesus says, with the words that the Father give me, I speak the words, but it is the Father that is within me, he doeth the works. Well, that's what we got to believe. We do the speaking, but it is God that doeth the works. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jesus, Jesus said in another place, he says, um, look, the Father himself loves me. The Father loves me. He says, I always do those things that please the Father. The Father loves me. You and I need to have that deep conviction that the Father loves us because faith worketh by love. And you got to know that God is going to do what you ask him to do, not just because he has the ability and the power, but because you've asked according to his will and because you know and you believe the love of God. Faith works by love. So that you have this confidence that he eagerly, he eager, he is eager and he is yearning to bring fulfillment and to bless your life. To bring fulfillment to the promises. So Jesus lived in the confidence of the, and the security of the love of the Father. And that is where you and I must also function from. Jesus says the evil one cometh in John 14, 30. And he has nothing in me. Well, you need to know that. You need to know that within your born again spirit, there is nothing in your born again spirit that belongs to the devil. That the devil has no authority over you. You were in the kingdom of darkness, but you've been translated and now you're in the kingdom of His God's dear son. And inside your born again spirit, you have the very nature of God created in righteousness and true holiness. So you can say, the evil one cometh, but he has nothing in me. What am I saying? Jesus says he that believeth on me, he that believes the way I believe, the works that i do shall you do also and greater works than these shall you do so we so this issue of believing is important believing and believing right now unfortunately however the fact of the matter is there are hindrances to your believing there are hindrances to your believing i mean the devil tried to tempt jesus and said to him if you be the son of god if you be the son of god turn this stone into bread if you be the son of god What was he trying to do? He was tempting Jesus. He was trying to get Jesus to doubt, am I the son of God? The same way he tries to get you to doubt your your relationship with God, your security in Christ. He tries to get you to doubt the word of God. The same way he did with Adam, had God said. So you see, there are hindrances to your believing, and there are hindrances to the effectiveness of your prayer life. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. Unbelief separates you from God. Unbelief separates you from this connectedness and this oneness that you do have with God in Christ. With God all things are possible. And all things are possible to them that what? Believe because your believing puts you with God. But unbelieving separates you. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So it says that we are to put away an evil heart of unbelief. We must be aware of it, not indulge it, not allow it, not, pers- not, not permit it, not flirt with it. Why? Because it is a hindrance. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 18 and 19 says, And to whom did God swear, that's in the wilderness, that they would not enter into his rest? That they would not enter into that place where it is done by his grace. To whom did he swear that? He swore that to those who did not believe. He swore that and and he said, so shall we. It says that they could not enter in because of that unbelief. They could not enter in because of that unbelief. In other words then, there are hindrances. The point is this, there are hindrances to your prayer life. There are hindrances to your believing. Unbelief, anxiety, worry, fear, guilt, shame, insecurity, inferiority, circumstances, environment, many condemnation. Many of these things can come to bring separation, can come to, to, to be a hindrance to the effectiveness of your prayer life. So we need to remove them. We need to get rid of them. We need to overcome them. Amen? The whole world and all those around about you, w- what God does in their life is connected to your, the effectiveness of your prayer life. Amen? The purposes of God being fulfilled in your life is connected to your prayer life. Amen? We have not because we ask not. And then sometimes we ask, but we ask amiss. Your prayer life and the effectiveness of it is very important. The scripture says in, in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, when you stand praying... Do what? Forgive. In other words, then, unforgiveness is a hindrance to your prayer. Unforgiveness Unfor- can hinder your prayer. Even in marriage. Even in marriage, the, the, the scripture says that we are, that the husband and wife are heirs together of the grace of God. They are heirs together. Therefore, they must walk in, an, in, a, in a place of agreement lest their prayers be hindered. Amen? Strife can hinder your prayers. Unbelief can hinder your prayers. James chapter 1 verse verse, verse 5 through to to 7 says, if any man lack faith, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask who God that's prayer. Let him ask of God and God would give it to him freely without finding fault. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Because what? He that wavers is like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro. And then listen to what it says. Let not that wavering man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. In other words, his wavering and his wondering and his doubting, what is it going to cause? It's going to short circuit the effectiveness of his prayer and he will not be able to receive anything of the Lord. Amen? amen. Double-mindedness. Those are all hindrances. Looks like there are quite a lot of hindrances, aren't they? Well, here is the good news. The good news is that you can have victory over every and any prayer hindrance. You can get victory over any of the obstacles and remove them and overcome them. So we want to talk about that. How? How do we do that? Now, here is how we do it. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to spend a little bit of time here. I think this is perhaps the most important part of this message and of this entire series. Living in this communion realm and fellowship with God, this place of intimacy, this place that he has called us to, this fellowship, this place, hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 10, read it from verse 16. It says, this is the covenant, God says, that I will make with him after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. Then he said, their sins and their lawlessness, their sins and their iniquity, I will remember no more. God says, I'm not going to remember it. I'm not going to have any record of it. I will remember it anymore will not remember it anymore. Well, why wouldn't God remember it anymore? Verse 18, because where there is remission of these, there is no more, no longer any offering for sin. Where there is remission. Now, let's capture this word for remission for a moment. Remission is not atonement. Atonement means to cover. In the old covenant, the sins were covered. They were still very much there, but they were covered. You know, it's like having a debt and you put it on a credit card. That debt is still there. It's not paid for. Amen? That's atonement. But this is remission. The debt has been fully paid. The, the Amplified says now, where there is absolute remission, absolute forgiveness and cancellation of the penalty. Absolute forgiveness and cancellation of the penalty. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. It it speaks along the same line. It says, according to the law, almost all things are are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The blood of Jesus has been shed. This is not the blood of bulls and goats. This is not the blood of the old covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant, the blood of the Lamb of God, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have got a better covenant with a better priesthood, with a better sacrifice, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And without the shedding of that blood, there is no remission. And then the Amplify says, "There is neither there is a, rel- a rel- there is neither a release from sin and its guilt. The blood of Jesus. This remission is a release from sin. It is a release from guilt. The remission of is the remission of uh, of the Jew." And it is merit and a merited punishment. You see, there is punishment for breaking the law. There is punishment for sin. There's an expectation. When, when people do wrong, they expect to be punished. Well, the blood, this remission says there is no punishment. You have been absolutely, totally, perfectly, completely forgive, forgiven. And on top of that, the blood of the Lord Jesus has wiped the record clean. And, and it's no record of it remains. As far as the east is from the west. So that being the case, it goes on to say in verse 18, Hebrews 10, Therefore, brethren, capture this. There is zero record of sin, and your conscience is purged from every dead work. Your conscience is free from guilt, free from condemnation, free from any sense of impending doom or punishment. Therefore, brethren, you now have boldness, confidence. You have boldness, freedom. Confidence to what? To enter into the holiest of holies. To enter into the holiest, the very presence of the Lord God Almighty, who is holy and perfect in all of his ways, who is a consuming fire. You can enter into his holy presence through that blood, and you don't have to flinch. You can come with confidence. You can come with a freedom, a conscience purged by blood. Hallelujah. And it says, by a new and a living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, by the virtue of his sacrifice, him going to the cross, dying, being buried, shedding his blood, being resurrected, ascending to the Father's right hand, by the virtue of his sacrifice, you and I can have can come boldly, confidently through the blood of the Lord Jesus, and by the virtue of that sacrifice, we now have a new way that not only can we approach God, but we have a new and a living way, a way where we are able to live and abide continually. And this way, this place is in the presence of God, in the holiest of holies. And this way, Jesus himself is the way. And this is what we are talking about, coming through this sacrifice. And it says now, look at this, look at verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God. Well, who is that high priest? It's Jesus. Having a high priest Over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us draw near with a heart that is that is sprinkled from an evil conscience. Let us draw near with a heart that has absolute confidence, a heart that is free from any hindrance, any guilt, any shame, any sense of insecurity, any cares, any anxiety. A heart that is that is so pure and have a confident conscience towards God. How can this be? Well, because of the blood, because of the sacrifice but also because as we come, we know we have got a high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, that is passed into the heavens, and he is seated at the Father's right hand. And this, regarding this high priest, the scripture says, in, um, let me just read a few verses of scripture. Let's, let, let's flip to Hebrews chapter 7. It calls him such a high priest. Not just any high priest, but such a high priest. I'm going to read a few verses from Hebrews 7. Read it from verse 31. The old covenant, the, the Aaron's and the people in the old covenant, those those high priests. And it says in verse 20, for in as much as this high priest, which is Jesus, he was not made a high priest without an oath. For they, in the old covenant, they became high, they became priests, but they did that without an oath. But this Christ, this man, Christ Jesus, he was made a high priest with an oath. God made an oath. God made a vow. What did God say? It it says, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Such a high priest. A high priest that is forever, that has been made a high priest by an oath, by a vow. And then verse, by a vow from the Lord God Almighty. And then in verse 22, for by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. He is the guarantor. He guarantees this new blood covenant that we stand in. He is the guarantor of it. So, you see, so as we come into the presence of the Lord God Almighty. As we come to the blood, as we come with the confidence with the confidence that comes out to the reality of the sacrifice, what happened? We come and here we are, free from guilt and shame. And on top of that, we now have this high priest. This high priest that was made a high priest by oath. This high priest that he himself is the guarantor and the guarantee of this new Everlasting covenant. It says also, there the old ones in the old covenant, there were many priests because they were they were they, they were prevented by death from continuing. Someone would be a high priest or a priest for a period of time, but eventually they die, and then here they, they had to had to get another high priest, Aaron's sons or somebody else had to take over. But no, not this Jesus, but he. Because he continues forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he has an unchangeable priesthood. His priesthood never comes to an end because of death. He has an everlasting priesthood. He stands in this office forever, for all eternity, because he does not leave this office because he dies. He has already died, and he's not going to do any more dying. He cannot come out of this office. He has been he has been be, be covenanted into this office. And then it goes on to say, that being the case, guess what? He also, this is the high priest that we have as we come into the holiest of holies. He is able, therefore, to save to the utmost completely, to save, to heal, to bring deliverance, to bring freedom, to bring the blessings of the Lord, to bring the benefits of this of this new covenant. He is able to do that to the uttermost, all them that come to God through him. Since what? He always lives to make intercession for us. Hallelujah. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy. He is holy. He is harmless. He is undefiled. He is separate from sinners, and he has become higher than the heavens. This is the high priest that we have. In other words, then, if, if we just come into the presence of God, take your eyes off of yourself, only see yourself for who you are, see yourself washed by the blood, come through the sacrifice, and just see your high priest. I'm telling you, even that, man, you forget what needs. You forget why you even came to pray. You forget what your needs are. Okay. Amen? I mean, all of those things that you are concerned about and anxious about, they just completely disappear. And you just find yourself beholding the majesty of the Lord. You just find yourself endeavoring to function in this oneness, in this righteousness, in the reality of this kingdom. And all those other things you don't even have to pray about, they'll be added onto you. But you see, you've got to get into this place. And when you get into this place, then all those things fall away. The cares, the anxieties, they all fall away. Hallelujah. holy he's holy who does not need he doesn't need daily as those high priests in the old covenant to offer up sacrifice first for their own self and their own sins and then for the people for then for this he did once for all when he offered up himself he did not have to offer a sacrifice for himself because he was pure and holy And he did not offer sacrifice year after year after year. But by that one offering, by that one sacrifice of himself, that paid the price for all time, for all sins, for all separation, so that the angels could pronounce and declare, there is now peace on earth and good will towards men, because God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, and he has received the blood sacrifice, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that he is a propitiation and a sacrifice, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. It is a sad thing when someone dies and goes to hell because they didn't have to. The price was totally, completely paid for them. They either just didn't find out about it or they didn't receive it. Jesus has paid the price for the whole world, all sins, for all time. And there is no more need for any offering of sin. The wrath of God has been totally and completely appeased by the sacrifice of Christ, by that one offering. Hallelujah. See, he doesn't have to do this daily. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. He has no weakness. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever i needed to stop on that just so that we can see this is the place this is the new and living way this is where you and i are to live and function from in prayer oh the application of the blood and the sacrifice and living in the conscious confident awareness of the high priest that we have blessed be the name of the lord The scripture even goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, uh, sorry, and verse 12, that he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained an eternal redemption. He has obtained an eternal redemption. No wonder we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is no more any need For any offering of sin. Because where there is remission of these, there is no need for any offering. Hebrews 10 verse 18. For he was the propitiation, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2.2. That is why when we witness to the lost, when we pray for people that don't know God, we are not seeing all of their sins what do we do? We are imputing unto them righteousness. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says that we are to declare. We are ambassadors of God. We are ministers of reconciliation, declaring unto them, be reconciled unto God, for God was in Christ reconciling you and the whole world unto himself, not holding their sins and trespasses against them. That is why Jesus says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all judgment that's supposed to come Upon men, I'm gonna draw it all of that judgment to myself, and once I lift I'm lifted up, I'm gonna do that. Hallelujah. The prince of this world has been been judged. The only reason why someone cannot be born doesn't get born again is if they reject Jesus. That is why the Holy convicts the Holy Ghost convicts them of sin because because Jesus has died, and that is the rejection of him that takes people to hell. Amen. Hallelujah. Peace and earth, goodwill towards men. So Hebrews chapter 10 goes on to say, Therefore, having boldness to enter in by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which He is consecrated through us, through the veil that is to say His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. What does that mean? Having your heart sprinkled from an from, from evil conscience of unbelief and separation. You see, the thing that is, the, the, the evilness of this conscience that it's talking about is this issue of separation. The, the, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 2, that the worshippers once purged must have no more consciousness of sin. It is a big deal. You have been purged by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your conscience have been purged. Hebrews 9 verse 14. So that you are not supposed to live with any sense of separation from God. Separation is sin. Sin is separation. We are to awake to righteousness. First Corinthians 15 verse 34. And not live in that sin consciousness. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not. The, some have not. the some Some have not. The knowledge of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Be purged from every conscious, every evil conscience of unbelief. And instead have what? Have a constant conscious awareness. Your sins are forgiven. They are washed. They are removed. And you've got such a high priest. So here is the deal. The answer to, el- to every hindrance Anything that could hinder you in your prayer life. Anything. That's an emphatic statement. Because when you say anything, it means it's got to mean everything. Amen? And if there's one exception, then that statement would be be error. But I say to you that any and everything that could hinder your prayer life, the solution and the answer lies right here. It lies right here. It is found right here in the blood, in the sacrifice of Christ, and in the the reality of the high priest ministry that Jesus now has. Amen. Now, here is the deal. Your spirit, your spirit is God's workmanship. What does it mean? The born-again spirit you have is something that God created. That didn't exist before. Second Corinthians 5 verse 17 says it is a new creation. It is a brand new creature altogether. Your spirit man has been made brand new. Born of the word and the spirit of God. The born of the everlasting immortal word of God. And of the spirit of God. And your spirit man has been created in righteousness and true holiness, Ephesians 4.24. And Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, this new man, this new creation, this spirit man of yours on the inside, it is God's workmanship. God did it, and it is absolutely perfect. Hebrews 10 verse 14 says, by that one sacrifice, Jesus has perfected forever them that are sanctified that's not a perfection in your soul your mind your will and your emotions or in your body it is in your spirit but now you have to understand that as we are coming into this place this new and living way you are you are to function as who you are you are to function from your spirit I'm gonna make a statement if you and I can function from our spirit all the time we would never have any failure Our life would just be absolute, total victory from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from victory to victory. And that is why this is the objective for us to walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. Whatever is born of the Spirit, overcome it. Hallelujah. Why? Because that Spirit man is the product of the perfect sacrifice of Christ. And listen, listen to this. There are no hindrances. Nothing can penetrate your spirit. Nothing. Your spirit, man, the scripture says, I think it's in Ephesians 1 verse 13, has been sealed by the Holy Ghost. Nothing can break that seal. No evil can get in there. First John chapter 3 verse 9 says, he that is talking about the one that is born of God, the seed of God remains in him and it is impossible for him to sin. Your spirit, man, cannot be contaminated by sin, nor by death, or by anything that is not of God. Nothing. It is impenetrable. You've got to rec- I know this sounds far out, but it is the truth. It says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 10, that as Christ is revealed in us. Remember, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Well, as he is revealed in you, that Christ is revealed in you. He has come. To bring life and immortality to light through the gospel. He has come to bring life and immortality to light to the surface. And to cause that to be made manifest how? Through the gospel. Through the reality of Christ himself living in you. Immortality means an immunity to death. Immortality is the very life and the nature of God. It is the eternal nature of God. It is what we call eternal life. It is that divine nature and that divine nature that has that immortality. It cannot be tinted, affected, um, or, or, or in any way corrupted by death, by sin, by sickness, or by any other such thing. I'm not preaching about that right now, but that is the key to living in divine health. When you can cause the life to keep flowing, what sickness can attack it? What sickness cannot, can stand? Light, darkness cannot stand in the presence of light. Well, neither can anything, uh, no cares, no anxieties, no fears, no, no, no unbelief. None of that can penetrate your born-again spirit. None of it. The scripture says in Romans chapter seven verse 22, that your spirit man, that hidden man of the heart, that spirit man, he delights in the law of God after the inner man. Peter said in 2 Peter 1 verse 4, you are a partaker of that divine nature. Life and immortality is brought to light. Why am I saying that? Because you see, this place, the reason we come through the blood, the reason for the sacrifice is to bring us, is to give us this new creation, this new life, this new spirit man and for us to function out of him because in him, There is this intimate fellowship and communion realm that exists. The new and living way. That's where it is. And we got to learn to function from there, okay? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. No one that would say in John 14, 30, that the evil one cometh, but he has nothing in me. Amen? No one that would say in 1 John 5, 18, that he that is born of God keepeth himself, and the wicked one toucheth him not. Nothing can touch that spirit man. But you see, we gotta awake to the reality of that born-again indwelling presence and its immortality and its divine nature. As I said before, if you and I can function out of our spirit, not nothing, nothing can separate us, no matter what it is, no hindrance. No obstacle, nothing. In all of these things, you are more than a conqueror. Now to live in this place, this is the place of the freedom that we're talking about. To live in this freedom realm of prayer, this place of intimate communion and fellowship with God, you must function out of your spirit you cannot be functioning out of the circumstances, out of the environment, out of the world, out of the spirit of the world, out of your feelings, out of your emotions, but you got to function out of this, out of this new creation man on the inside. You got to function, you got to function in the new and living way that Jesus has consecrated. By the perch, by, the, by his sacrifice and, and by his blood. And he says, this is the way, walk ye in it. He says, this is the new and way that you are to live. This is where you live. This is where you function from. I consecrate it and I say, this is what it is. D- here it is. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So, but as I said, there are hindrances. And we got to remove those hindrances and remove those obstacles so that they, they don't get in our way, amen? Now, now in the remaining time, let me talk about some of those obstacles. Last week, we covered about eight of them, or we covered about seven of them. We're going to finish it off um, today. Very quickly, what are those hindrances that we covered last week? Number one, they were prayer prayers of committal. That means casting your cares on the Lord, committing your burdens to the Lord, C- committing your way to the Lord, committing your works to the Lord, whatever situation, circumstances, people committing them all to the Lord. He is able to keep whatever you commit on him. Number two, and go back and listen to last week's message and so on. Number two, you got to take a stand where you absolutely refuse to worry. You just decide I don't have nothing. I refuse to fear. I refuse to be anxious about anything. I will not be dismayed. For the Lord, He is my God. He strengthens me. He empowers me. He helps me. He upholds me at the right hand of His righteousness. You got to make that take that stand. Number three, and um, we talked about taking the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and sever those negative environments and those distractions. Here you want you want. To go pray, and, uh, and the time to enter into this fellowship, and you're thinking about what to eat, or you're thinking about a conflict or that you had a little while ago. You need to cut it off with the word of the living God. And as I said, you could go back and listen to the tape. Number four, silence the word curses and the accusations and the judgments. People speak things against you, you speak things against yourself. I mean, your parents. People in authority speak words of, of, of curse and damnation and negativity. You got to break those things by the power of the word of the living God. You also must be in a place where you are you're, where you're free from any sense of law keeping. It is amazing how many Christians are not able to enter into this place of rest because their confidence is in their own performance and they are busy trying to keep the very rules and laws that no one could keep under the the best of the saints, couldn't keep in the old covenant. But now we have Christ himself that is the very fulfillment of those things in us. But Christians sometimes don't understand that and they get into a whole bunch of conflict and next thing you know, they can't operate in that place of, of the purity uh, 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 and, uh, and this confident consciousness within their, within their spirit. Amen. Number five, remove the, the, the limitations that comes from, from wrong agreements. Break the power of, of, of people's opinions and don't, don't be affected by them. Number six, don't agree with your history, what has happened in the past, who you were, what you did, and all that kind of stuff. Don't allow those, because those things, they will come and they will try to uh, they will affect you and hinder you. So go back, study that out, and, and, uh, and apply those things. We also talked about not to limit God, not to limit God with unbelief. Amen. And then number eight, this is where we are right now, we're going to pick up here. Silence and loosen yourself from conflicts. There are conflicts you have with people. There are conflicts within yourself. There are accusations and condemnations and there, 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 there is stuff that can happen within you. And then there are, there, there are things that come, uh, I, I mean strife and relationships and divorce and abuse. And all kinds of things can happen in relationships and those things can hinder you if you're not able to successfully s- loosen yourself from them. Amen? So let's talk about it. Let me make some general statements first. Amen? So that even if I don't get to everything, at least you would have the, you would have the, the, the overall framework. Here is the deal. Like I said, it doesn't matter what it is. The answer and the solution will al- always, every time, somewhere it is in what Jesus has finished. It is going to be based on His blood. It's going to be based on his sacrifice, and it is also going to be based on the application of the reality of his high priest ministry. Amen? These are the things that will bring you into the place where you can have the full assurance of faith, and your conscience purged from every dead work, and your body washed with the pure water of the word. Now, let me just put it to you this way. So as I said, it doesn't matter what it is, the answer will always come from there. Because you see, any problem that came into the world because of the fall, this is what Jesus came to fix. And what God did in the second Adam is greater than what was done in the first Adam. That means whatever the problem might be in the human race that came because of Adam's fall has got to find its solution in what God did in the second Adam, which is called a sacrifice. So you can always look into the sacrifice and you will find the answer. So let me just put it to you this way. And when I say the sacrifice, what am I talking about? Am I simply talking about Jesus on the cross? Am I simply talking about his shed blood? It includes that. But what we're basically talking about in a nutshell is is Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his shed blood. And then as a result of that, we now have the authority of his name and we now have his life. Christ in us the hope of glory, and we have his word and promises. Amen? So the application of those things. Now, here is the deal. The, the, the scripture says in John chapter 31, uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall walk. You will know the truth. You're going to become intimate with the truth, and that truth will make you free. All right. Why is it? Well, so to start with, truth brings freedom truth brings freedom truth brings freedom say that with me truth brings freedom it might not bring it on the outside as yet but it will bring total freedom on the inside inside the scripture says that god has called you to liberty but truth brings freedom now what is the truth we're very very simple the truth is what jesus did whatever he did in his death burial resurrection ascension shed blood his name his life whatever he did in those eight aspects of the sacrifice that's the truth what Jesus did and who he is what Jesus did that is the truth in other words then when you can identify the truth that comes out of the sacrifice of Christ that truth will bring absolute freedom in your spirit that's number one number two when you get a hold of the truth and you apply the truth you do the truth that truth will cause the manifestation of your freedom In other words, you're gonna get the results. When you find out, for instance, Jesus bore my sicknesses, he carried my infirmities, by his stripes I am healed, and you recognize that truth. He did that, it was in his own body, and you recognize that and you receive that, then that freedom comes in your spirit. But then when you begin to act on that, what will happen? Healing will show up in your body. Amen. All right, that's just an example. All right, so that is the that is the thing. Now, now let's talk about just the crucifixion aspect in a nutshell. Whether you're dealing with people, or whether you're dealing with conflicts in relationship, or whether you're dealing with the spirit of the world, here is the truth. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this before in this context, so pay attention. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 says, The love of Christ, and by the way, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 is a few verses before 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So it is very, very exceedingly connected. Amen? All right. So verse fi- 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. The love of Christ constrains us. It judges us. It rules us. It dictates to us as we come underneath its authority. The love of Christ constrains us, and we thus judge. What do we judge? We judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. In other words, when Jesus was crucified, not only did he, b- did he die, but everyone was crucified with him. When one died for all, then were all dead. So, what does that mean? It means then that this person that you've got a conflict with, you must judge them crucified with Christ. You must reckon that they have been crucified with Christ so that whatever they did and whatever they do, you reckon yourself dead to them. You reckon I am dead to them. You see, when you can make that determination that you are dead to people and they are dead to you, then you will move out of the realm where you're reacting. And instead, you will simply respond from the life of Christ. You see, it is the reacting that gets you into trouble. You react by being offended. You react by being defensive. You react by by striking back. You react by becoming bitter. You react by, by, by allowing unforgiveness. But the scripture says you reckon yourself to be dead indeed. Reckon yourself to be dead indeed to them. Reckon yourself that they are crucified and you are crucified. And from that place what do you do? You speak authoritatively with power, with authority to your emotions, to your thought processes. What am I talking about? You see, the scripture says in First Corinthians chapter, uh huh. First Corinthians chapter one verse eighteen says, "It's the preaching of the cross that is the power of God." When you preach and you declare the aspects of the sacrifice, when you preach and you declare, "I am crucified," "They are crucified," when you speak it, that's when power comes. So what do you do? Here you are. You've got a conflict. I mean, some. I mean, you've been hurt. You've been wounded, and, and you're bleeding literally in a, in an emotional sense. So what you do is you speak authoritatively to your thoughts. You speak to the emotions. And, you, d- and, 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 and you, you literally evoke the power of God. And you take authority. And you declare, people crucified, you declare, I am not, re- not going to react to this situation. Emotions, I'll take authority over you. And you learn how to do that. Now we can't do that in this teaching here within the time frame that we have. But you see, you have been crucified to people. You can go on our website. It's part the teaching on it. You are crucified to people and people are crucified to you. Now, where the world is concerned, it's the same thing. Galatians 6 verse 14 says, you are crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to you. It's dead to, the, to you. Therefore, you don't have to go after the world where, where you are, where it's about you being number one and where uh, and, um, and, and getting sucked in by the reasoning and the logic. You don't walk according to sight. You don't walk according to reasoning. You walk according to faith, and you walk according to the Word of God. Anyway, that's, that's a quick summary. But let me just move on. Silence and loosen yourself from conflicts by applying crucifixion, by applying the sacrifice, by exercising your authority in the name of Jesus, and by taking the Word of God, which is a sharp two-edged sword, and severing off of yourself anything that is... That is a hindrance. Sever it off of yourself in the name of Jesus. Now I wanna address the issue of unforgiveness because unforgiveness, Jesus says, when you stand praying, forgive. You cannot allow unforgiveness in your life because it will clog you up. But is it automatic for you to forgive? Not necessarily, it's not, it's not human. It's not within your humanity to be able to, to, to forgive rape to forgive, to, to forgive um, um, bullying. To be able to forgive someone who has, who has murdered your child. and, and, and uh, it, it is not humanly possible to do that. But now you see, that is why God gives you the power of the blood. That's why God gives you the name of Jesus. That's why God gives you the life of Christ. Second Corinthians 2 verse 10 says, uh, Paul says, I forgive through the person of Christ. You have got to look at situations and recognize, okay, I can't forgive, but... Nevertheless, Christ within me is saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ within them is saying, don't hold this to their charge. So what you do is you function from who Christ is, and you speak it and you declare it, and then and by that power of Christ within you, you're able to forgive in very difficult situations. The scripture says in, in um, um, Colossians 2 and verse... 17, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. You can do this type of forgiveness in your own name, but in the name of Jesus, I forgive. Now, similarly, it also says in John chapter 20, verse 23. Now, this is not a a very popular scripture, but it's exceedingly significant. Jesus, when he came and he breathed in the disciples, listen to what he said, John 20, 23. He says, whatever sins you remit, they are remitted. Well, you got to understand this. To start with, God was in Christ reconciling them unto themselves and not holding their sins and trespasses against them. They don't know it. But now you as the ambassador and as the minister of reconciliation, God says you are to remit their sins. So you just say that person that has done whatever, in the name of Jesus, I remit their sins. I loosen it off of them. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And I don't, I'm i not going to hold it against them. And so you do. you do that. Amen. What am I saying? I am saying that to be free from unforgiveness, it is not just a mental decision. It is actions that you need to take. The word of God doesn't profit you without it being mixed with faith, without it being mixed with the right response, without it being mixed with action on your part. You don't decide when I feel better. or or, or I have forgiven because I feel better, or I'm going to forgive when I feel better. has nothing to do with your feelings. It is an act of faith, it is an act of obedience, and quite frankly, it is an act of reverence for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for them as much as it was shed for you. So why is forgiveness important? Well, for one thing, if you do not forgive, that person remains bound up, and so are you. The scripture says, whatever sins you remit, they are remitted. And whatever sins you retain, they are retained. So for your sake and for their sake, you need to remit the sins and you need to forgive them. Why else is forgiveness important? Because if you don't forgive then it means that you are not truly living out of the life of Christ that is in you. You've got to recognize this. Like I said, it doesn't matter what we're dealing with. The solution always is in the application of the sacrifice. Coming out of the sacrifice here is your spiritual reality. Galatians 2.20, you are crucified. It's not you here, but it's Christ that lived in you. The life you live is the life of Christ. And you live it by the faith of the Son of God. So when you refuse to forgive, you are not allowing Christ to be Christ in you. You are not allowing yourself to live out of Christ. You are not allowing the reality and the grace that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And it is, and the life you're living is the life of Christ. You are putting absolutely no application to that. And then if you don't put the application to that, you cannot expect to get the be- benefit and the reality of Christ living in you and living through you. Are you with me? That's so important. So you do you. So why is it important? Because this is how you live out of Christ that is in you. It is Christ that is in you that is saying, "Father, forgive them." Number three. Why do you? Why is forgiveness important? If you don't forgive, you end up in a place of torment. Remember the story in Matthew chapter 18, 18, where the man forgave someone that had owed. This person had owed piles and piles of money to his master. He came, he begged, and he pleaded, and the master said, okay, I forgive you. And then later on, somebody came and owed him a dime, and he refused to forgive that person. And when the master found out about it, right, the the master was was, was upset at him. And one of the things that comes out of that communication is that it says in Matthew 18, verse 34, that he was turned over to the tormentors. When you do not forgive, there is an open door for the enemy to come in and to torment your mind to torment you and keep bringing things up in your thinking and playing games and living in your mind and and, and assaulting you. It creates torment, so you need to forgive for your own sake so that it is not retained, so it doesn't stick to you, so that people could be released and so that you are not in this place where you you become a sitting duck or an easy target for the enemy and for him to torment you because the devil is the tormentor. Here's another reason why you do forgive, and it's this. You must forgive everything and everyone. Every sin, no matter what. Doesn't matter what the sin is. Doesn't matter how big it is. Doesn't matter who it is. You forgive everyone and you forgive every sin by faith. Number five, you must forgive where? From the heart. Freely from the heart. Freely from the heart. Freely from the heart. heart. And again, this is another account in Matthew 18 verse 35 which means what? And remember Hebrews 10, what do you mean by freely? Here's what I mean by f- freely means what free and I right? to give freely, forgive freely from your heart. In other words, I don't forgive you any, but then you know what? I'm not going to forgive you until you come to me and you say you're sorry. Until you ask me for forgiveness, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to forgive you. In other words, you're going to have to pay a price for my forgiveness by at least telling me you're sorry. No, that's not what the scripture says. Hebrews chapter 10, verse twenty, verse 18 says the, that where there is remission of these, there is no more offering for sin. Nothing else is needed. Jesus has already paid the price for this person to be forgiven. You've got no legal right to demand this, that, or the other. Amen? Now, I granted, betrayal and various things may have happened, and it might take a while for you to come to a place where you can, where you can trust them. I get that. But that has nothing to do with forgiveness. Amen? And the thing is, so you do not forgive people with a whole bunch of conditions. What do you do? You freely forgive from your heart. How do you forgive? We have already mentioned it. You do it in the name of Jesus. Not in your own name. You forgive in the person of Christ. Right? You say, but that makes me vulnerable. Well, it is o- nothing's wrong with being vulnerable. Nothing's wrong with being t- being transparent nothing is wrong with being a place where you could get hurt again so uh, so what you got to do is you don't decide i'm not going to forgive because i might get hurt again no you learn how to overcome the hurt you learn how to recognize being crucified with Christ, and you learn the things from the kingdom of God and from the life of Christ and the sacrifice that you can apply so you could be free from the hurt. God has provision for hurt. He said he will pour, pour in the oil and the wine. He said he will give you beauty for ashes. He said he will heal. He will restore, uh, and he will heal the, your wounds. Amen? But you, you don't get this healing of your wounds and your hurt by deciding you don't forgive. It doesn't work that way. Amen? And then when you forgive what you do, you forget. But understand this, you cannot forget without forgiving. You cannot forget without forgiving. And one of the things you need to do on a very practical level, it says in Matthew 5 verse 44, what does it say? It says, bless them, p- love your enemies. That's what it says. It says, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for those that spitefully use you and persecute you what am i what am i talking about here? i'm talking about the how to in forgiveness forgiving in the name of jesus forgiving through the person of christ right forgiving from your heart and then and then forgetting and, and and blessing praying for the person praying for them blessing them if you have an opportunity to do them good do them good that's how it works amen hallelujah So, we're talking about living and not being having hindrances. One of the things you have to develop, and I'm just going to close in a a minute, is you got to make your life off limits to the spirit of offense. Don't allow selfish motivation, self preservation, self consciousness. Don't allow those things to come to, 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 to get a hold of you. Watch it when you find yourself being defensive. What are you protecting? You crucified, remember? It's no longer you that live, but it's Christ that lived in you. You are dead. People are dead to you. You are dead to them. Therefore, you're not concerned. You're not intimidated, nor are you out there trying to impress anybody. You're not concerned what they think about me. You're not living for them. You're living for the Lord. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, So that they which live should no long longer live for themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. Let this mind be in you. Right? Arm yourself with this mind, not to live the rest of your life for the will of men or for the flesh, but for God. And when you are in that place, it doesn't matter what people think. You're not concerned about that. You're not motivated or demotivated by that. You are unaffected. And when people say this, they say that, they do this. You, what they thi- that is, you're not affected by that. You are not, it's not about you. You have offered up your body as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God is your reasonable service. You reckon yourself to be dead indeed. You live in a place where I die daily. I always endeavor to maintain that place where I recognize that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I reckon I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I. It's Christ that liveth in me. The scripture says that when you live that way, the life of Christ will be made manifest in your body. Hallelujah. This is the word of God. This is how it works. Paul says, I conduct my life be unto myself that I might finish my course with joy and complete the assignment that the Lord has given me. God has got a plan and a purpose for your life, but you cannot allow self, people, the world, or any hindrance that the enemy might bring up to be a hindrance to you. You cannot allow that. Amen? So how do you not allow it? You look to the sacrifice, you look to the blood, you look to what Jesus has finished, you look to your high priest ministry, and from those places, you find out what the words say. Cast all your cares. Don't allow uh, offense. Reckon you take up your cross and follow him? And when you learn to live this way, what will happen? Those hindrances will have no voice. They will have no authority. Amen? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Judge others crucified. <laughs> Therefore, what they do doesn't even exist. Amen. <laughs> All right. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, glory to God. I think I'm going to stop right here. Amen. I'm going to stop there right here when we're going to wrap it up here. Hallelujah. Say, I believe. I believe. I'm crucified with Christ. Christ. It's no longer I that live, I I but it's Christ that liveth in me. The wicked one comes. But he has nothing in me to work with. I am being f- I'm free indeed. My spirit, man, is created in righteousness and true holiness. The nature of God lives inside of me. No unbelief can get inside of me. I refuse unbelief. I refuse cares. I cast them all upon the Lord. I'm free. I'm free indeed. I'm crucified to the world. The world is dead to me. I'm dead to people. They are dead to me. I love them, but I'm crucified to them. I bless them, but I'm crucified to them. I pray for them, even if they despitefully use me and persecute me, because I function from the nature of God.